0: The following message was given by Robert Green on Sunday, April 19th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. We've said over the last few weeks that the cultural crisis that we are in has presented us as God's people with, with a unique opportunity to reflect something of the character of Christ to a watching world in how we speak and how we relate to one another and how we relate to those that that we're shut into the home with, with those that we see when we're out, those that we are engaging with digitally online. We, We have a unique opportunity in a time of crisis and anxiety and worry to reflect something of the compassion, the mercy, the patience, the love, the kindness of Christ to a watching world. God has made each of us as his disciples his ambassadors. We are meant by God to be ambassadors of his kingdom, meaning that we are to reflect his intentions and his desire and his character and the situations that he sends us into. In fact, the the Bible tells us over and over again, we see it play out throughout the entirety of scripture that, that you and I will become like or we will reflect the very thing that our heart decides to behold. What we set the affections of our hearts upon what we behold with our hearts, we will become like in our lives. And so if we're going to reflect something of the character of Jesus to those that are around us during the season, if we're going to be ambassadors of the character and the kingdom of God, reflecting that which we have received from him, we're going to need to be diligent to see Jesus. We're gonna to need to be intentional that you and I, as often as we can, as long as it's still today, intentional in our hearts to see Jesus, to set our hearts upon him, to behold him. As the Apostle Paul reminds the church in 2 Corinthians three, it's the beholding of the glory of the Lord in Jesus that transforms us into that same image from one degree of glory to another. How How does Jesus see people? How does Jesus love people? How has Jesus seen and loved you? What does that mean for you and I as his ambassadors? What does it mean for us to see and love the way that he's seen and loved us? This has been the focus of our consideration for the last few weeks as we've been working through different accounts in the gospels, the the records of Jesus' life and ministry, focusing in on incidents when Jesus clearly sees. He sets his eyes upon someone and they see him and they behold him and those eyes full of grace and truth begin to change people in the moment. My prayer this morning is that our hearts will once again be overcome With the scandal of God's grace. Some of you that are listening to us this morning, my prayer is that your heart will be overcome by the scandal of God's love and grace for you for the first time. Maybe you've never seen Jesus fully and clearly on his own terms. And maybe there are some of you out there that maybe it's been a while. Since your heart has been overwhelmed by the magnitude of God's love to you in his son, the scandalous idea of his grace that he has shown you, maybe your heart's grown a little cold towards that grace. My prayer this morning is that the scandal of God's grace for you would overwhelm your heart. So that as our hearts are overwhelmed by his grace, more of his character would be cultivated in us and reflected by us. Especially during a time of crisis when So many people around us are worried about being unseen and unknown and unloved. What would it look like for us, Redemption Hill, to see and to love those that God puts in our way during this time in the way that he has seen and loved us? Well, a few stories capture the the nature and the magnitude of the scandalous nature of God's grace like the one we have before us this morning. And And here's the thing, some stories become so familiar and some stories become so iconic that that we run the risk of actually underestimating them. Becoming so familiar that we underestimate their power. Let me warn you this morning, don't do that. The majority of you, even if, if you haven't been to church since you were a child, even if you've never been to church before, if this is the first time you've ever tuned in to hear someone teach from God's word, you're probably familiar, at least culturally, with this story. Don't underestimate it this morning. Let's look at the scandalous nature of God's grace towards us through this story that we have in Luke chapter 19. Let's start in verse one. The first couple of verses, give us a bit of the setup of the story. Luke records that Jesus is entering Jericho and was passing through Jericho and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So here's the thing, Jesus is, is still, he's on his way to Jerusalem f- to celebrate his last Passover with his disciples and then to give his life up as a ransom for us on the cross. He is headed straight to Jerusalem. He's days away from those things and he's passing through Jericho and as he makes his way through, crowds are gathering, people are following him. If you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we, we saw another incident that Jesus had with a man on this same journey outside of Jericho. When Jesus healed a a blind man on the side of the road named Bartimaeus, in this crowd of people that are following Jesus is Bartimaeus, he who Jesus opened up his eyes. And the the first face Bartimaeus saw was Jesus. And he he gave his life to Jesus and followed him along his way. Bartimaeus is in this group here in Luke 19, following Jesus through Jericho. And the story, though, is going to lock in on one particular man. His name is Zacchaeus. And if you grew up in church, you can go ahead and pause for a minute and take a moment and sing the song. I know you want to. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Go ahead and sing it. I'll wait for you. Okay, turn it back on now. Luke tells us a lot about Zacchaeus that we need to grasp if we're going to feel the weight of the story. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. Zacchaeus was a, a white collar thief who exploited an unjust system for his own personal gain. We talked about tax collectors last week, you might remember. What the Romans would do when they would occupy a land is that they would auction off the right to collect taxes from those people, and they would auction it off to someone who was from that place. So the tax collector was someone who had bought the rights to tax his own people and Rome would actually give them a quota that they were supposed to return back to Rome. But anything else they got, they got to keep for themselves. So they not only betrayed their own people by working for the occupying government, they then collected taxes from their people to pay back to that government and they overtaxed them to make money for themselves. They exploited an unjust system for their own personal gain. Now, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. That meant that he was so good, he had tax collectors under him doing the work of collecting taxes from the people and then paying him a percentage off of their gain. Zacchaeus was the don of the whole thing in the area. That's who this man was. He never had to look someone in the eye. He never had to look a dad in the eye, begging him and pleading with him not to send his family out on the streets, not to take from him all that he had. He had men for that. Zacchaeus had become so good at what he did, he oversaw the rest of the tax collectors in the region. And he was stupid wealthy. When the Bible makes a particular claim about someone being wealthy like this, it's a particular kind of wealth. If he was here today and we were talking about someone today, he'd have the homes and the cars and the clothes and the plane. And everyone in the region, everyone in Jericho, everywhere where Zacchaeus oversaw the tax collectors, they saw him live out this lavish lifestyle right in front of their eyes that was paid off the unjust taxes that he was taking from them from their work. Zacchaeus had no friends and he had no fans in Jericho. If you were going to have a good and a bad scale, Zacchaeus truly was the bad man. You can go ahead and get an idea of what that person might be in your own world, in your own life, in your own time right now. I mean, this might be the equivalent of a wealthy businessman downtown wearing his clan robe to work. Everything about him you dislike. This was Zacchaeus and Luke tells us in verse 3 that Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was small in stature. So you can begin to build that mental picture and, and image of him in your mind. Read it like a human. When the Bible mentions someone's height in particular, it's because they're particularly tall, like Saul was, if you remember. They're particularly short, like So here's this particularly short, very wealthy, much hated man who extorted his own people, unjust in all of his dealings, a, a traitor to the people of Jerusalem, working for the Roman government. But he's curious about Jesus. We don't know why. Maybe he had heard stories of Jesus. One of Jesus' 12 disciples, you might remember Matthew, was a tax collector. I'm sure within the larger Judean region, tax collectors were all fairly familiar with each other. So to hear the story of this tax collector who had, who had left the business of collecting taxes to follow this teacher, it, it had probably caught Zacchaeus' attention at some point. I, we don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. The gospel doesn't tell us. Ultimately, it's irrelevant. But he's curious about Jesus. And that's a good thing. That's where many of us start. In fact, some of you might be listening this morning simply because you're curious about who Jesus is. I want you to know if that's you, we're glad that you're listening. That's a God-given curiosity that you're exploring. Zacchaeus was curious about Jesus, and, and here he introduces us, Luke introduces us to the third main character in the story. We've got Zacchaeus, we've got Jesus, but we've also got this crowd of people. They're not willing to let Zacchaeus get a good look at Jesus. I mean, you can imagine it. Again, read it like a human. The crowds are forming along the dusty road. They, they hear that Jesus of Nazareth, this man, is passing through. Crowds are already following him. People are behind him. His disciples are with him. There's a lot of commotion going on the road. Everybody begins to line the road. And Zacchaeus is coming out in his big old robes, his fancy clothes. Everybody knows who he is and what he's about. And every time he tries to get close, they kind of close the gap on him. Throw some elbows out right there. No, not you. You don't get to see Jesus. No one in the crowd is doing Zacchaeus any favors. You can tell. This is the man who has exploited them for his own gain. This is the one who had turned on his own country. This is the one who had brought other people under his system, under his network to exploit them and take from them. No, you don't get to see Jesus. You don't deserve to see Jesus. And so Luke tells us that Zacchaeus does the utterly unexpected. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, Zacchaeus ran on ahead. He climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. Now, here's the thing you're going to have to trust me on this. We, We can go and read quotes from different sources and scholars, but here's the deal. There were two things in Jesus's day in that culture. It's not a religious thing. It's not a Torah thing. It's a culture thing. There were two things that wealthy and powerful men simply did not do in public. It was just cultural. They didn't do it. They didn't run in public. Of course, unless someone was chasing them with a sword, but they didn't run in public and they didn't climb trees. Children ran in public and children climbed trees it would be undignified for a man of wealth and stature to run and to climb a tree. But those are the very things that Zacchaeus does. Zacchaeus put his public dignity on the line. $5,000 Brioni robe, crocodile sandals, dusty road, starts taking off down the track until he sees the sycamore tree. He doesn't care what people are thinking around him. He knows what they think about him. He knows they hate him. He knows they don't like him. He doesn't care what they think about what he should be doing at this point. He takes off down the road in a dead sprint and climbs up a tree that many people in that day saw as unclean because the fruit of that sycamore tree was used to feed pigs. He scrambles up that tree because he wants to see Jesus. He humbles himself in the moment because he wanted to see Jesus. Zacchaeus didn't let his pride keep him from seeing Jesus. He didn't worry about what people were thinking of him in the moment because he wanted to see Jesus. Friends, our pride is one of the biggest obstacles that you and I face in seeing Jesus. If you're listening this morning and you're curious about who Jesus really is, and you're listening to try to understand more about who he is, there's nothing more that I want for you than for you to see Jesus for who he is. But you've got to understand one of the biggest obstacles is going to be in your way to seeing Jesus as your own pride. At some point, you're going to have to be willing to do something that communicates to those around you that you know you're needy, that you know you're vulnerable. The God given curiosity that was given to Zacchaeus showed him that he needed to see Jesus. He he had to see him. There was something about him he needed to see. And that God given curiosity that you have is, is something God has put in there. And it's going to require you doing something that's going to look to others around you like you're needy and vulnerable. You're going to have to pick up a Bible and read it for yourself, you're going to have to talk to other Christians and you're going to look vulnerable and needy just like Zacchaeus but Jesus has just said if you go back a few verses that unless you and I humble ourselves like a child we're not going to be able to receive the kingdom of God Zacchaeus is not letting his pride keep him from seeing Jesus but he's also not letting the crowd keep him from seeing Jesus Church, if you're, if you're thinking about this and you would allow yourself to be honest for, for just a moment, you, you know that sometimes the biggest barrier presented to people for seeing Jesus for who he really is is, our, is us, is the church. You, you might be familiar with this quote from Gandhi, but one time Gandhi was asked why he never became a Christian, and this was his answer. He said, I, I like your Christ, I, I just don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. In his mind and in his heart, Gandhi couldn't reconcile how Christians were such poor ambassadors of their king. And in his mind, he let that be the thing that kept him from seeing Jesus. Church family, this morning, if we're going to be ambassadors, if we're going to reflect something of the character of Christ to a watching world, we have to take this concern seriously. We actually, we we have to humbly own the fact that that many people around us think that Christians simply dislike them. And that's their starting point with Jesus and starting point with the church that we just inherently dislike them. And oftentimes people think that because of the posture that we have shown them, because of the way that we've related to them. In different ways and forms, we've misrepresented Jesus to our neighbors and to our family and to our coworkers, Here's the thing, we've been made by God's grace ambassadors. We are meant to reflect the intentions and the care and the love and the grace and the mercy and the compassion that we have been shown. That's why it's so imperative that you and I set our hearts to see and enjoy Jesus daily because as we do, we become more like him. It's necessary if you and I, are going to remove or, or create less obstacles for people around us to see Jesus. We're going to have to be seeing and enjoying Jesus daily so that we're increasingly conformed to his image and likeness so that we, in how we relate to people, don't put in front of them an unnecessary obstacle to seeing the real Jesus. Zacchaeus, he, he wouldn't let the crowd keep him away. And if you're listening this morning and you're like Zacchaeus and you're curious about who the real Jesus is, I I want you to know that the real Jesus is just as turned off by religious hypocrisy as you are. But here's the thing you still have to find out who he is for yourself, like Zacchaeus. Don't let the crowd and the misrepresentations of Jesus keep you from him. Look at him in the text. Look at him in his word. What if we just said, right here, between all of us right now, what if we just said the starting point for this issue is that all of us, all of us, live inconsistent lives in what we say we believe and how we actually live? What if we all just own the fact that we are inconsistent ambassadors for whatever it is we say we believe? If you're curious about who the real Jesus is this morning, are you willing to dismiss Jesus simply because of my inconsistency in representing him? I heard a pastor say it this way one time and it stuck with me. He said, would it make any sense if, if you and I went to a music recital at an elementary school and we heard a six-year-old violin player butcher one of the most famous Tchaikovsky violin pieces in the world, would we walk away out of that recital and go, wow, Tchaikovsky was such a hack. I could never listen to anything that he wrote. Would that make sense? No, it wouldn't make sense at all. But that's the way we tend to treat Jesus. We tend to look at those who are meant to represent him and and we say, based on their representation of him, I'm gonna dismiss him entirely. Friends, don't let the misrepresentations of Jesus keep you from seeing who he really is. Zacchaeus didn't let his pride keep him from seeing Jesus. He didn't let the crowd keep him from seeing Jesus. And, and so far Luke has shown us his, his response to Jesus being in town. He, we've seen the crowd's response in trying to keep Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus, but now in verse five, we, we get to see Jesus' response. Verse five, Luke says, when Jesus came to the place, he's talking about the place where Zacchaeus was in the tree. He came to the place. He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So you've got to see the picture. You need to close your eyes if you need to. Jesus is passing through town. Crowds are all around him. There's noise all around him. People are walking along the side of the road trying to keep up with him just to get their eyes on him. And in a moment, he stops. Again, he's on his way to Jerusalem on his mission to give his life up as a ransom for many, as we'll see in a minute, to seek and save that which is lost. And he's on his way moving, and he stops in his tracks right below the tree, and he looks up, and he locks eyes with Zacchaeus hanging right there in a sycamore tree. And one scholar said the moment when the eyes of these two men meet is worthy of the greatest operatic aria ever. The eyes in the tree that have caused so much hurt and pain to people. The eyes in the tree that have been fixated on their own personal gain. In a moment, lock eyes with the eternal one full of grace and truth. And Jesus calls him by his name. And in a moment, Zacchaeus realizes all along he thought he was trying to get to see Jesus, but... Jesus had actually come looking for him. Zacchaeus was driven to get in the tree by a curiosity and a neediness, but Jesus was on a mission of divine grace. Zacchaeus climbed up a tree to see Jesus. Jesus came down from heaven to seek Zacchaeus. It's the fullness of what Paul would say to the church in the book of Ephesians. Before the foundation of the world, I set you apart as one who would receive my salvation by my grace and love. I predestined you to be adopted to my family in accordance with my glory. When his eyes locked with Jesus, the fullness of God's grace and truth set in. Friends, I hope you realize you would never set your affection on Jesus if if he had not set his affection on you first. And in a moment, when those eyes lock, Jesus speaks his name and he issues a command, an invitation of sorts to Zacchaeus. Come down, Jesus said, for I must stay at your house today. I must, that word must is enormous in the story. Jesus is saying just as I must make my way to Jerusalem where I must give my life up as a payment for your sin, I must be about my mission here on earth, I must stay at your house. Jesus is giving Zacchaeus this invitation as a divine imperative, it's part of his mission. He came to seek and save that which is lost, Luke is going to say. Staying with you, Zacchaeus, is something I must do. And you've got to feel the gravity, even culturally, of what's happening right here. To go into someone's house like this, to eat with them like this, was to in some way identify with them. It was to receive them. It was to approve them. It was to accept them. And when Jesus and his disciples would go into Zacchaeus' house, if Zacchaeus will receive him and they'll share the meal, it also means Jesus and his disciples are going to stay there that night. They're going to lodge with Zacchaeus. They're coming all the way in and they're staying It's Jesus looking at him and and saying, I'm coming into your life. I'm going to show you the greatest hospitality you could ever imagine and I'm gonna do it in your own house. Jesus was inviting himself into the fabric of Zacchaeus' life and if he would receive him, Jesus will change everything. Friends, the same is true today. Today. Jesus wants to come in and Jesus wants to take over. Jesus wants to come in and rearrange the furniture of your soul and dwell with you forever. Are you in? Are you in? The crowd, they, they hear Jesus and they see Zacchaeus sitting in the tree and they, they watch Jesus lock eyes with him and they hear Jesus call him down and and invite himself into Zacchaeus' life and the crowd would be scandalized by what was happening. I think you and I missed this to a degree. The crowd would be utterly scandalized but this is what the gospel does. The gospel doesn't discriminate between good and bad people. You need to realize that. Each week as we're going through these encounters that people have with Jesus, I want you to see over and over again, the gospel doesn't discriminate between good and bad people. That's part of its scandal. The gospel discriminates between the proud and the humble. And Luke, the, the physician, the writer of this gospel, he, he has a particular soft spot for tax collectors, the deplorable ones of the day in the culture. Six times Luke speaks about tax collectors in his gospel, and every single time he does, he speaks about them in a positive way. No one had anything nice to say about tax collectors. They were the most defiled and most deplorable. All six times that Luke writes about them in his gospel, he says something positive. They were coming out to hear Jesus' teaching, they were being baptized after hearing Jesus' teaching. You got Zacchaeus here, curious about coming to see Jesus and Jesus locking eyes with him and inviting himself into his life. Luke has a soft spot for these tax collectors because of the scandal of the grace of God. And Paul will later call the gospel itself a scandal because the gospel doesn't discriminate between bad and good, but proud and humble. It's for the outlaws, it's for the outsiders, it's not for good people. It's for humble people. The crowd didn't get it. They felt themselves better than Zacchaeus. He didn't deserve to see Jesus. But here Jesus is inviting himself into Zacchaeus's life because the gospel isn't for good people. It's for humble people. Many people have written, we talk about it all the time, but this scandal of God's grace is really part of its essential validation because who in the world would invent something like this? Every religion, every philosophy, even our favorite holidays Santa's taken over Christmas, everything's about being good, good for goodness sake. How can you be good enough to earn your reward? How can you be good enough to get to where you want to go? Everything is about being good, but not the gospel. The gospel says there's no one good. No one who does good except the one who came and embraced the outlaws. Except Jesus himself. I don't know if you realize it, but if you read the story like a human, you've got to come to grips with the fact that while he's sitting in the tree and Jesus is locking eyes with him, Zacchaeus is still a crook. Jesus doesn't look up and lock eyes with Zacchaeus and say, if you promise to do better, If you promise to stop cheating, if you promise to stop exploiting people, then I'll come into your house. That's not what he says. Go back and reread it. It doesn't go like this either. Jesus and Zacchaeus don't lock eyes and Zacchaeus doesn't say, Jesus, I promise I'll quit. I'll promise I'll stop doing this. Go back and read it. Zacchaeus doesn't first say, hey, I'll stop exploiting people and then Jesus says, okay, great. Now I can come to your house. That's not what happens at all. In fact, if you read the story and you, and you were born and raised in the church, Zacchaeus hasn't even invited Jesus into his heart yet or into his house, literally. No, Jesus invites himself while he's still a crook. Calls him by name and says, I must come. Because the gospel doesn't discriminate between bad and good. It discriminates between proud and humble. And his grace is available to anyone humble enough to receive it. See, Luke shows us in the story, there are two possible responses to the scandal of God's grace. The first we see in Zacchaeus, verse six. Zacchaeus hurried down the tree and he received Jesus joyfully. I hope one day, you've heard me say it before, I hope one day in eternity, we get to see all these stories play out that like god has some kind of you know eternal screen that we get to see how it winks i want to see him in his robes and all of his garb scurrying down that tree quickly i want to see it one day it's a, such a sight in my mind he came down as quick as he could and he received jesus joyfully he looked into the eyes of grace and truth he heard the voice that commanded all that is to come into existence he heard it speak his name And what he heard was an invitation of welcome. What Zacchaeus finally heard was an invitation of friendship. What Zacchaeus finally heard was a belonging. The one that nobody liked, the one that nobody probably wanted to eat with, the one that everybody avoided, the one that everybody would keep away, the one that everybody wagged their finger at, the one that everybody tried to avoid, the one that everybody hated. He saw in the eyes of Jesus and heard from the mouth of Jesus a welcoming, a belonging, a safety. Friends, this is what sets Christianity apart from everything else in the world. While Zacchaeus was still a crook, the eyes of Jesus and the invitation of Jesus said, I know everything about you. I'm coming to your house today. He does it openly. He does it publicly. Because this is what Jesus does for sinners. He calls us by name and he invites us to an eternal friendship with him. There's this thing that would happen if if Jesus follows through with his command and his own personal invitation to go into Zacchaeus' house. You see, the minute Jesus steps foot into Zacchaeus' house, this chief tax collector, Jesus and his disciples are going to take upon themselves the shame and the defilement of Zacchaeus' reputation. Zacchaeus' uncleanliness is going to be put upon Jesus for having associated with him. And in return, Jesus is going to give Zacchaeus the honor he's never received. Friends, this very moment of between Jesus and Zacchaeus is just the beginnings of the working out, of the substitution that Jesus is going to make on the cross for our sins. It's a living picture of what he would do on the cross when he takes upon himself our sin and in return by faith in him, he gives us his righteousness. This was happening for Zacchaeus in miniature in that moment in his house. Jesus would take upon himself the shame and the defilement of being associated with him and Zacchaeus would receive the honor that the son of God gives him. It's a beautiful picture. And Luke says, Zacchaeus received the invitation joyfully. You see me. You know me. You love me. In you I belong. I'm safe. Your eyes are on me. You wanna come to my house? I'm in. Friends, he sees you. He knows you. He loves you. His eyes are on you. He wants to come into your home, to your heart. Will you receive him? Could God's grace be for someone like me? Someone is saying it. Could God's grace be for someone like me? Friends, anyone can get in on the scandal of God's grace if you're humble enough to receive it. Zacchaeus received the invitation of Jesus, but the crowd, verse seven, the crowd, when they saw it, they all grumbled. They said, Jesus has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. This is pre-Twitter, pre-social media, but this is herd anger. We get it. We understand it. Jesus just associated himself with the one I hate the most. What's Jesus doing? We're better than that guy. Okay, fine. It's okay to offer grace to the blind beggar you saw on the side of the road, to heal him, to let him be part of one of your people and let him come with you. It's okay to show him grace, but not this guy. Friends, who would cause you to grumble if God loved them and saved them? The gospel doesn't discriminate between good and bad. It only discriminates between proud and humble. And in the sight of God, we're all guilty. That God would call any of us and love any of us and forgive any of us. Well, that's the miracle in itself. It's our pride that leaves us grumbling. Grumbling. It's our pride that leaves us like the crowd saying, I deserve salvation, they don't. When that pride and when that voice begins to grumble in our hearts, it's a sure sign that we have forgotten the gospel of grace altogether. As one writer says, whoever you hate, you have to realize Jesus loves and he's not asking your permission to love them. Sometimes the scandal of the gospel is that They, whoever that is, is included. Some of you might be familiar with a woman named Corey Tinboom. Corey was imprisoned in a concentration camp in World War II with her father and her sister, who would die in that concentration camp. But Corey would survive and she would go on to to write and to teach. And there was a time she was giving a public address about her time in the concentration camp and the gospel. And at the end of her, her speech, a man came up to her. And he looked her in the eyes and he says, I remember you, I know you, you probably remember me. I was an officer at the concentration camp. I too, since those days, have become a Christian. But I want to ask you, do you believe that the forgiveness you spoke about today is enough for me? And in her book, Corey said she actually had to take a moment. And she had to wrestle in her head and wrestle in her heart because everything in her wanted to say no, not you. But she looked that man in the eyes and said, yes, this forgiveness is for you. Sometimes the scandal of the gospel is that they, whoever that is in your mind, are included. But always the scandal of the cross is that I have been included in the grace of God. This is what captured the heart of John Newton. You and I all love to sing Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. We love it. But every time we sing those words, we're singing words that were written by a man that was a slave trader at one point in his life. A serial adulterer. His affairs probably would have been called predatory in today's standards. So a man at one point in his life who had been a slave trader and a, and a predator of women received the grace of God. His life was changed. He would go on to, history would record, nearly single-handedly inspire William Wilberforce to stand up in the English parliament to fight against the, to fight for the abolition of slaves, to end the slave trade. He would go on to write Amazing Grace, how Sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, because the scandal of the gospel is always that I, I'm included. The gospel doesn't discriminate against the bad and the good. It discriminates between the proud and the humble. As so one pastor said, if we really want to be people, if we really want people to be impacted by the gospel and to enjoy the riches of God's grace, they must first see in us the humility of those who have been and continue to be genuinely impacted by grace ourselves. If if we want people in our lives around us to enjoy Jesus and the riches of his grace, to see Jesus and enjoy Jesus, then we're going to have to be people first ourselves who are regularly seeing and enjoying Jesus overwhelmed by the scandal of the gospel that I'm included. What happens next as the story comes to an end is simply the the fruit of God's grace rearranging the furniture of Zacchaeus' soul. The lightning bolt of grace has blown through his heart and the evidence of this, the evidence that his life has been transformed begins to pour out. The very thing the Apostle Paul would later write to the church in Corinth, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old has passed away, behold the new has come, we see it right here in Zacchaeus. Grace changes you, it never leaves you the same and this is what we see, look at verse eight. Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I I give to the poor. A man who had been fixed upon his own greed whose eyes, whose heart have beheld his own greed, his own money, his own things. He sees Jesus and he receives Jesus. He, Master, Lord, the one who had been addicted to his own well-being. He's now publicly committing himself to use all that he has for the well-being of others. Grace has made him a generous man the closed hands he had at one time around his things for his own well-being. He's opened them up. He literally is looking into the eyes of grace and says, Master, you've made me a different man. And if, he says, not because he doubts it, but it's an expression of total openness. And, And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus is publicly owning his sin in front of everybody. He's turning from it. That's what repentance is. He's publicly owning his sin. He's turning from it and turning to Jesus. And then he begins to do something we don't talk a lot about, but the Bible talks an awful lot about. He's making restitution. He imposes on himself a stricter penalty than the law of Moses even required. The law would have required someone who took something from their neighbor to return that thing they took plus a 20% penalty but Zacchaeus is repaying it fourfold. Can you imagine the impact on that city? Grace has made him an entirely different man He's not the same man because he's seen and he's met Jesus. He's a different man. Now half of all of his goods he's giving to the poor and he's, take, he's retaking his own stuff that's left and he's paying fourfold back to anyone he defrauded. Can you imagine what's gonna happen in that town? The lives that are being changed. He, he didn't make promises. He didn't make plans. Everything is written in the present tense right here. Zacchaeus doesn't just have good intentions because he feels different. This is a firm decision. And when he says, this is important, when he says if I have defrauded anyone, that word defraud can mean to slander or accuse falsely or misrepresent. It's not just about the money he's taken from people. The way he's defrauded people of their goods, this gets into people's reputations because those are valuable too, right? Jesus looks at him. The crowds are grumbling about Jesus doing the unexpected for the man that didn't deserve it in their eyes. Zacchaeus has been overwhelmed by Jesus' grace. His entire life is being transformed right in front of their eyes. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house since he is also the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. What you just saw, people, what you're seeing right now, This is the evidence that salvation has come. It's not the causation. He's not saved because he's doing those things. He's doing those things because salvation has come today. The lost Zacchaeus has been sought and saved by his Savior. And he's bearing the fruit of repentance. Friends, when we met Zacchaeus, he was a swindling, extorting, greedy little man of stature and soul. But Having been sought and seen by Jesus, everything has changed. I read the story and I wonder that next day when Jesus and his disciples would wake up and they'd finish making their last leg of their trip to Jerusalem where he would celebrate Passover and lay his life down on the cross. I, I wonder if Zacchaeus followed them for those next few days and I wonder if the man who had climbed a tree to see Jesus was there in that moment to lock eyes with Jesus when Jesus was lifted up on a tree to pay the price for his sins. Church history will record that, at least Clement of Rome will record in church history that this swindling little extortioner who saw Jesus on the side of the road and whose saw the eyes of grace and truth and whose life was forever changed would, would go on to become the bishop of the region of Caesarea. Because the scandal of the gospel is that the gospel doesn't discriminate between bad and good, but between the proud and the humble. And for those who humble themselves and receive Jesus and the grace of God, When he comes in, everything changes. Friends, I've got to ask you, will you receive him? He wants to come in and overwhelm you with his grace. My prayer is that it would be so for you. Church, this morning, I I ask you, would you be willing to be honest with Jesus this morning and with yourself and, and ask yourself, what have I wrongly taken from someone else? and And now it's time for me to restore. And I'm not talking about money and stuff. Money was Zacchaeus' problem, but you and I owe each other and others so much more. Love and trust and honor and inclusion and apologies and restoration and restitution on so many levels for our reputations. Friends, owning up and making these things right, that's part of following Jesus. Church, what, what would happen in our city? Happen here in Richmond, even during a, a season of, of stay-at-home orders, if we let Jesus come in like this? If we join Zacchaeus in in giving and restoring, my prayer for us is that it would be so, for the glory of God, the joy of our hearts and the reflection of the real Jesus to a watching world. May it be so. Let me pray for us this morning as we prepare to respond. Father, we thank you for the magnitude of your kindness and your grace that you've shown to us in your son. We ask that you would do that very thing that only you can do and you would give us eyes to see the real Jesus. To climb the tree over our pride and over the poor representations. And you would give us eyes to see the real Jesus, hearts overwhelmed by his grace. We ask that you would work in our lives and in the culture of our church and in the culture of our homes, the increasing character and likeness of your son. We ask that you would do it in his name, for his glory and our joy. Amen friends, as we prepare to turn off the computer this morning, let me just remind you that If you have any questions about Christianity, if you've got any questions about even the sermon, if you've got questions about Redemption Hill or you just want somebody to pray for you, there are going to be pastors that are gonna be on different calls that you can join. The information is right below the screen. You can join one of those calls and and one of us would love to talk to you, to pray for you, to answer whatever questions you have. Um, So go ahead and do that. And and for the rest of us, until next week, may the grace and peace and the, Scandalous nature of God's grace overwhelm your soul that you might be received by him in the fullness of joy. See you next week. You've been listening to a message by Robert Green given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, visit us online at redemptionhill.com.